Hello and welcome to Stories of the Second World War. I'm your host, Noah Tetzner, and I'm so excited to have you with us today. Before we begin today's episode, I would just like to encourage you to consider supporting the show by visiting our friends at Legacy Collectibles. Legacy Collectibles is a World War II and military firearms dealer that I personally trust and recommend for anyone listening who is fascinated by World War II and wants to own a piece of its history for themselves. While they specialize in World War II German pistols, Legacy Collectibles has firearms from countries all over the world, all of which can be easily viewed on their user-friendly website, and that's legacy-collectibles.com. In addition to their great website, if you're someone interested in learning more about the history behind some of these weapons, check out the Legacy Collectibles YouTube channel for informative videos curated by historical weapons experts. If you're interested in World War II weaponry and would like to consider supporting the podcast, head over to legacy-collectibles.com or simply follow the links in the description of this episode to both their website and YouTube channel. You will also find a link to one of my favorite World War II social media channels, and that's the World War II Library. You can follow them on Instagram at the underscore WW2 underscore library via the link in the description of this episode. Do make sure you check them out. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. James Borhill, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you, Noah. Pleasure to be here. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the podcast, and I'm delighted to be discussing your fascinating book today, The Killing Fields of Provence, Occupation, Resistance, and Liberation in the South of France. Well, Provence is a region in southern France known for its rich history. Um, I know Operation Dragoon, often dubbed the Second D-Day, uh, took place in that region, as well as sort of its its diverse landscape and enjoyment by by people and tourists to this day. What is really exceptional about this region of Provence and southern France during the Second World War? I mean, setting the stage for us a little bit here, James, I know it was part of the, the Vichy state um, that sort of collaborated with the Germans, but, but really what is significant about this region in World War II? Uh, Provence is a region of France, which is situated in the bottom right-hand corner Although France is not a not a, a rectangle, it is a hexagon. But it's in the bottom right hand corner, right up against the Italian border, and it consists of six departments. Very, di- they call it a département, but it is a very diverse region, uh, ranging from the high Alps, coming right down through the lavender fields and the olive groves right down to the Mediterranean Sea and the Côte d'Azur. So the, today there is no such place actually as known as Provence. It is called P-A-C-A, PACA. It is the only region with an acronym for an, uh, a name, and that stands for Provence Alps Côte d'Azur. And um, that is the region which I'm writing about. 
um, as I said, bordered on Italy, and it was also open to invasion from the sea. And furthermore, it has a um, a lot of seaports which were important. Marseille is one. And Toulon was the big uh, wartime or, or, or warship harbor. So it was of vital importance to the Germans. And although you wanted to know about the Vichy state, um, it was in uh, 1940 when the Germans took over uh, France. They said, okay, um, we will allow half of France to be so-called independent. Of course, it never really was. But theoretically, it ran its own affairs and even had its own standing army and navy, which was based in Toulon. The capital was in Vichy, which is um, towards the center, the north of, of, of Vichy, France. Um, they, they called it the the proper uh, name of it was not actually Vichy France. That's become the the use, uh, well used name. It was actually the French state, and uh, the Germans based themselves in Paris. And uh, Marshal Pétain was the uh, leader of the Vichy Vichy France, and he based himself in uh, Vichy, although he did have a, a, a house on the Côte d'Azur. He was a man of Provence, in fact. Well, James, Provence is a region in southern France known for its its rich history. You know, Operation Dragoon, often dubbed the, the second D-Day, took place there. I know even in modern times, it is enjoyed by tourists, you know, who experience its diverse landscape, not to mention, as I said, its its fascinating history. But but what made you want to write a book about it? What made you, of any of the other places um, that World War II involved, what made you want to write a book about Provence during the Second World War? No, I went there as a tourist, and um, like most tourists, I didn't know much about uh, the surrounding area, um, just focusing on the the, the Côte d'Azur. But when I was in Saint-Tropez, um, it was in 2004, and it was the 60th anniversary of the Dragoon landings. Um, I saw a um, an uh, exhibit, an, a museum exhibit that was um, uh, temporary, and it rang a bell about a landing. I had no idea that it was exactly there at Saint-Tropez where it happened. But um, then I saw um, in the uh, cemetery, uh, which is a very famous cemetery because Roger Vardim, who is Bridget Bardot's um, husband, Bridget Bardot, by the way, still lives there. And um, he's buried there. Now, we, everyone flocks to go and see his grave and so on. And uh, there is a monument to 18 American paratroopers who uh, parachuted on the on the uh, early morning of the 15th of August and uh, landed in the sea and were never seen again. And um, that really piqued my interest. And then uh, later, uh, the following year, we bought a place just inland from Saint-Tropez, and we met some some people who were alive at the time, an old lady, two old ladies, one of whom uh, ha- has just died recently, aged 104. Uh, I spoke to her and interviewed her a few times and um, became very interested. And it was only much later that I got to understand the geography of the region. Most people are just focused on the Riviera, but actually Provence is, a, is, a, is, is the whole inland region consisting of six departments right up to the High Alps. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, you know, Operation Dragoon, which took place on August 
1944, was, of course, the Allied invasion of France, which um, was originally supposed to take part in conjunction with uh, Operation Overlord, but of course got delayed because of you know lack of resources and so on and so forth. My understanding is that before the Allies reached France and Provence, that the conditions there were um, quite frankly miserable and it also quite unique. Uh, what was sort of the daily life of the French citizens who lived in that region, um, you know, under German occupation and as part of the Vichy state during World War II? In fact, that region, Provence, and more specifically the coastal region, was one of the, the most miserable existences in occupied France because uh, it is an area where the produce is mostly limited to grapes and olives. Uh, it is um, specialized agriculture. Uh, you even today, you will very find, seldom find livestock. You don't find uh, crops growing. Yes, there are some uh, some fruits, and certain areas are known for their citrus and pomegranates and that sort of thing. But um, there was not enough uh, to sustain them, and and the food rationing came in, and the black market um, became established. And uh, but there was great suffering, and the countryside was pillaged by the Germans uh, for absolutely everything from uh, leather to wood and and any any um, food was sent by train back to Germany and the local population starved and, and um, they had to uh, scavenge for food, scavenge for wood, whereas normally people living in the countryside would be better off than people in the city. This wasn't the case in the coastal regions because agriculture was uh, so specialized, they would call it monoculture because it wasn't um, diversified agriculture. Now, in terms of the people who, who lived in Provence during the Second World War, were these people who despised the Germans and despised the sort of Vichy state that collaborated with the, the, um, the Nazis? Or, or were they... Um, Quite frankly, I mean, what was their sort of mindset? Were they just really afraid for their lives and just struggling to survive? Or was there any sort of resistance that, that took place as well? Well, in the end, it was a struggle to survive and people did what they, what they had to do, which is why um, uh, not many people resisted. And in the beginning, people were quite supportive of the Vichy state. The uh, leader, Marshal Pétain, was a hero of the First World War, and uh, he was admired by many, especially the older and more conservative people. I probably would have been a Pétain man myself. But later on, they came to see the Vichy state for what it was, a fascist, oppressive, and people started to resist against it. But only, I, I believe the figure was 2%. 2% actively resisted the majority did nothing they were called waiters and you know attentists they were people who waited and uh, then you had uh, the, the few who would collaborate and they collaborated in every which way from economically to horizontally if they were women but a resistance did uh, slowly grow up. Uh, Marseille was a center of resistance in the very early days because it was filled with um, 
with people who were um, sort of already a little bit uh, underground and um, and lawless. It grew to writing graffiti on the on the walls and spreading of of pamphlets, even uh, being silent towards the occupier was considered a form of resistance. There were many different resistances. We can get into that later. Um, there were many groups, uh, many circuits uh, of many persuasions. Uh, one was um, the, probably the most active one was very communist and um, was supportive of um, Russia. They had many offshoot groups, many splinter groups, and you would have the military wings, if you like. You'd have you'd have the political wing and the military wing, and then you would have those who were underground in the cities and those who took to the to the bush. Uh, and that is where the term Maki comes from, the Maki, M-A-Q-U-I-S. Uh, it is named after a certain type of shrub, a very tough shrub from the Mediterranean region, and uh, that became the uh, colloquial expression, you take to the bush, you take to the maquis, and that's how uh, they got their name. How interesting. Well, you know, let's talk about for a moment Operation Dragoon. Provence was the location of this um, overlooked yet successful um, allied invasion, uh, which as we talked about before, is often dubbed the second D-Day. Uh, for those listeners who aren't quite familiar with this, um, you know, this event that is often eclipsed by Operation Overlord, what was it really? You know, and what part did Provence have to play in this this Allied landing? The Allies wanted to open up a, another front uh, in France. Although not everybody was in favor of it. In fact, uh, apparently Winston Churchill was very anti it. And the, the, the legend is that that is where the operation got its name, Dragoon, because theoretically Winston Churchill was not in favor of this operation, but he was dragooned into it by his, um, um, his colleagues and, uh, and fellow political leaders. It was originally um, codenamed Operation Anvil because the Normandy landings were codenamed Operation uh, before um, before it was Overlord, but that was going to be the, the hammer. The Overlord was going to be the hammer and the invasion from the south was going to be the anvil. So it became uh, Operation Anvil. And only t- two weeks before the actual invasion, it was changed for se- security reasons to Dragoon. I have my doubts about whether or not it was Winston Churchill who named it Dragoon because I, I look at the map and I see that the, the, uh, the, the, the regional capital is a place called Dragonion, which means it, it comes from the word dragon. And probably some planners were looking at the map on the wall one day and said, well, this is, our, uh, um, this is where the, the German uh, headquarters is in our uh, landing zone, and that is ultimate, uh, the ultimate uh, objective. Let's call it Dragoon. And I, I don't know, that, that is what I imagine. And, and there are some other people who think that way. Before we continue our conversation, I'd just like to share with you a brief message from our friends at Legacy Collectibles. On this podcast, we talk about the great figures and defining moments that shaped the greatest conflict in human history. If you're someone like me who is deeply passionate about the Second World War 
Legacy Collectibles provides so many opportunities for you to own a piece of the war for yourself. Do be sure to check out their easily accessible website, legacy-collectibles.com, after you finish listening to this episode. Well, my understanding is that there was an aerial bombing campaign uh, that preceded the landings of Dragoon. Uh, of course, those the bombing campaign must have been, you know, detrimental to the community of Provence. What part did the the locals of the region have to play during that campaign? How did these bombing campaigns affect their lives and property? And uh, as well as the shot down air crews evading uh, the capture of the the Germans. Um, yes, no. The the air campaign was a major part of 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 this campaign. In all the the weeks leading up to the invasion, the focus was on uh, breaking road and rail links so that uh, reinforcements couldn't be brought in and supplies couldn't be brought into the landing zone. So the targets were bridges and. Of course, also um, to stop the uh, German 19th Army from escaping uh, back up that route, they wanted to cut them off. So the focus was on uh, on all the links leading to the south of France. But then as D-Day got closer and closer, um, the focus became the defenses, which was known as the Mediterranean War, just as we had the Atlantic War on the Normandy coast. Uh, here was the Mediterranean War, also known as Su- the Sud War. And um, there were some pretty uh, strong defenses in places, not the whole way. The landing zone was chosen to be, it was a stretch of about 100 kilometers between the town of um Cavalier, Cavalier sur Mer, that, that, that is on, was on the one end, right up almost to the, 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 the famous city of Cannes. Um, that was the, the uh, designated uh, landing zone. But just as Normandy also had an airborne uh, component to it, so did uh, Dragoon. Uh, on the early morning of the 15th, there were um, some parachute drops, 9,000-odd paratroopers eventually uh, landed there by parachute and and glider uh, inland, slightly inland. And their job also was to cut off the arteries and uh, to prevent reinforcements reaching the landing zone. Now, over the course of your your studies um, that, of course – led to the writing of your book, The Killing Fields of Provence, did you come across any um, notable characters that uh, really have a great story in this uh, particular topic pertaining to World War II? I mean, are there any really individual heroes of Provence that, that come to mind? Well, uh, that that is what I try to do. I try to find uh, the unknown heroes and unsung heroes and tell their story. Uh, very often in the French um, – folklore these people are well known and of course in in the among the american um uh, folklore the most famous person was uh, Audie murphy who was part of the 3rd uh, uh, infantry division which landed on pamplone beach um 
also known as, I think it was Red Beach in those days, but uh, uh, for the purpose of, of the invasion. But Pamplona Beach today is a famous, famous uh, tourist beach frequented by all the rich and famous. But in 1944, it was a major uh, landing area because it's five kilometers of sand. And uh, Audie Murphy uh, was at that time a sergeant, and um, he became the most highly decorated soldier of World War II, American soldier of World War II. Uh, all kind of, he, he won the Congressional Medal of Honor later on, but on this occasion, he won the Distinguished Conduct Medal. Uh, he was, um, I wouldn't say fearless, because he said that his stomach would go into knots, but, but uh, he was he was he looked for trouble and always found it and on this occasion a friend of his was killed in a in a white flag incident where um the enemy put up a white flag and then opened fire as they advanced to take their surrender and Audie Murphy um became uh, enraged and charged the place by himself and 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 uh, captured it uh, that was near the village of Ramatuel Many years later, he was given the freedom of the village of Ramatuel. Uh, he also filmed a, a, a movie there called To Helen Back, and he became a very well-known uh, film star in Westerns. And I think his most famous role was in uh, The Red Badge of Courage, uh, a, a Civil War movie. That was probably the most famous um, American hero, but there were many, many French. Um, and then also leading up, to the invasion, I should have touched on that on that earlier, where um, I was talking about the air campaign. A lot of the targets were pointed out by the resistance on the ground, and among them were a number of American secret agents who belonged uh, to the OSS, the Office of Special Services. These people uh, drew maps of the invasion zone and. Um, and identified the fortifications and so on. They worked in conjunction with the French, uh, also had their own uh, secret service, and uh, some of them were were arrested and uh, um, tortured and taken to Marseille where the Gestapo headquarters were and um, then executed. There is a one particular place in the landing zone called um, Signe, it's spelled S-I-G-N-E-S, where there are two mass graves and in those mass graves are a few of these agents who uh, were arrested while trying to get information out. There are many um, such stories of uh, resistance heroes. And in fact, every, every village, every town has its hero of the, of the resistance. Uh, some of them are, are um, less well-known, uh, some of them more deserving of the title hero. But every village has its hero, and I try to tell the story of those little people. Absolutely, absolutely. No, that that's that's so interesting, and th that's great that you do that. Well, my next question to you, James, is this: During World War II, where does the story of Provence come to an end? I, I know the the um, Operation Dragoon, you know, the Allied landing at Provence was a, a great success, and of course that took place in. Uh, August of 1944, but sort of beginning with that event, um, you know, the Allies reach Provence. Where does that story come to an end? You know, how did the events progress after the Allies get to the region? The um, 
Operation Dragoon came to an end after three days. Uh, the major objectives had been reached, and that was the end of it. And from after that came the advance inland, and that was done in three different directions. Um, one was westwards. I always like to think uh, uh, south, but actually it was westward towards Toulon and Marseille. Don't forget, there were uh, there was a, a large French contingent. I think there were two French divisions and three American divisions, plus the airborne. Um, it was called, called the first airborne task force. The French um, divisions moved westward towards Toulon and Marseille, and they had uh, quite a tough fight on their hands with those two cities. The the Germans were told to hold out to the last man in the last round, and they pretty much did that. Then there was the advance eastward towards Nice and the Italian border. Uh, that was carried out by the first airborne task force. Once they had uh, accomplished their dragoon mission, which was to secure the the roads, they just became regular infantry, and they advanced towards Nice, also in three different prongs. They in two weeks they advanced all the way to Nice. In fact, um, Nice, Marseille, and Toulon were all taken on the same day, which was 28 August, which is two weeks after the landings. So it was done pretty rapidly. The the advance was done very rapidly. The uh, third prong was towards the north, up to Germany. Up the Rhone River, they call it the advance to the Rhine, because they went up to the Rhine and they eventually uh, liberated uh, parts of Germany, including, I think it was um, that concentration camp near near Munich. Uh, I forget its name. They were there. Um, these uh, um, divisions that, that advanced up the Rhone. And um, that was also pretty, pretty tough fighting as they, as they advanced up the Rhone. The biggest battle took place on the border of Provence. You could, in fact, there is a department called the Drome. And the Drome is, is also known as the other Provence because it's so similar. And they, or the gateway to Provence, in fact. And there, the Germans made their first big stand. But it was also a lightning fast, like sort of a blitzkrieg type of operation. And uh, leading the way was an, a formation called Task Force Butler. And uh, they copied the German blitzkrieg. And, they, and it was all, all um, a mobile and the motorized uh, operation and uh, with with various um, formations and they tried to cut the germans off and stop them from from escaping up uh, all the way up into germany but they weren't quite successful and uh, that that is where my story ends as they leave provence at this battle of montelima it's called then they got up into the mountainous areas in uh, the sort of uh, northern part of France around um, Strasbourg. And uh, that is another story waiting to be told because I don't think it has been properly told. Uh, And that is, in fact, where Audie Murphy won his uh, Medal of Honor. There was a major operation there that the Germans mounted called Nordwind, and it coincided with their 
advance and, and the Battle of the Bulge. That all took place around in December and early January, uh, January 1945. And that was a very, very heavy fighting and was desperate. And that is, that is where Audie Murphy uh, won his Medal of Honor. Um, so the advance to Nice was also not the end, not the end. They got to Nice and then um, uh, had to continue up to the Italian border. And that is where the uh, Germans made their stand. In Nice, uh, the, the Americans had captured some documents saying that uh, some orders uh, to the German forces to retreat to the Italian border. So there was no real resistance up to the Italian border. But there they made a stand, and there it, it, uh, the winter set in, and everything came to a halt over the winter months. The people who had taken part in that drive, the first airborne task force, they were pulled away and sent up to the Battle of the Bulge, and then those positions were occupied by other uh, newcomers to the area. Well, that's fascinating. Well, James, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I have certainly enjoyed our conversation, and I can only encourage our listeners to um, purchase a copy of your book, which they'll find a link to in the description of this episode. But thanks again for speaking with me on the podcast today, James. Thank you all so much for listening today to Stories of the Second World War. It's been such a pleasure having you with us. Before you go, though, I would just like to encourage everyone to go to your favorite podcasting platform, wherever you're listening to the show right now, and consider leaving us a positive rating and review if you've enjoyed today's episode. Additionally, I'd just like to encourage everyone to consider supporting the podcast by visiting our friends at Legacy Collectibles. Legacy Collectibles is an antique World War II firearms dealer that I trust and is a must-check-out for anyone who listens to the podcast and wants to own a piece of World War II for themselves. While they specialize in World War II German pistols, Legacy Collectibles prides themselves in having a user-friendly website where you can browse a vast array of authentic and original military firearms. If you'd like to support this podcast, head over to the Legacy Collectibles website at legacy-collectibles.com. or simply follow the link in the description of today's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Do be sure to join us right here again next week on Stories of the Second World War.